Hello everyone, and welcome back to FEAR. I'm your host, Paul Rondeau, and today we have part four of our longest series we've been working on lately is The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week. Just to kind of catch up on what happened in the last couple, if you haven't listened to those yet, a man moves into a house, he gets some weird notes from a uh, possible prior tenant or a possible prior neighbor, and they're odd. They're very, very odd. So he doesn't take him seriously, and he ends up, I mean, really, really dealing with the consequences. So in the last one, it showed what happens to somebody when they finally reap those consequences. But hopefully in today's episode, we can understand a little more what the heck is going on, because the last one was very ambiguous. So without further ado, let's just get into part four. The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week, Part 4, by Polterkites. Rule 6. To others, the intruder will appear as a mannequin, a rubber rubber dummy, or a coat hanger, etc. Do not let guests near him. What exactly does others mean? Mitchell left the diner shortly after his dad showed up, but therefore he... But before he left, I asked him about being the so-called other. He just shrugged and said, again, rules aren't set in stone. The meeting revealed almost nothing save (laughs) save for more unsettling questions. Why was his dad still alive? Why was his dad's bike parked in the driveway across the street? Was that even his dad? Was Mitchell messing with me? Was the entity messing with both of us? Questions over questions over questions. Rising dread lurking beneath the surface of all. Like reality itself were a blanket draped over some unspeakable terror. A veil that might be torn away at any second. Highway 7 was emptier than usual. My blue 1993 Toyota hatchback reverberating with the drones of rubber against road. The red sun crept down behind the distant mountains. Shadows stretched longer as the day crawled westward. Against pastel pink skies, starling flocks moved like singular hive minds. Driving always calmed me down. Before I owned a car, I used to go for these long, solitary hikes out in the temperate mountain rainforests. There's something about constant motion. Outside, alone, and peaceful. I was still committed to following the rules, at least until I thought of something better. My next priority would be to get somebody over. A guest, who actually wanted to stay. Maybe I'd rent out the spare bedroom. Maybe I'd call up an old friend. Easier said than done, especially considering the pandemic. Either way, I need to get a handle on this. Up ahead, parked at the side of the highway, the red Kawasaki motorcycle. I sped past before the image fully registered, letting off the gas. I checked the rearview mirror. There it was, the red bike, about 200 feet back. I pulled over. Only the bike was there. I shifted into the reverse and froze, breathed in and exhaled. I shifted back into forward and stared at the empty highway ahead, pinned straight up to the horizon. Just go home, I thought, but I didn't listen. I shifted into I shifted into back into reverse and headed for the red Kawasaki, lurching to a stop about ten feet away. I stepped outside, squinting at rising plumes of dust strung in my eyes. There sat the bike. Kickstand out, he's still in the ignition. Helmet sat in the driver's seat. I'm no mechanic, but the air smelled like engine trouble. I glanced around the highway shoulder I glanced around. The highway shoulder went out for about twenty feet and cut down in the grassy fields. About 50 feet down, somebody sat on the edge of the shoulder. Mitch's dad, P.T. Carver. 
At least that's what I assumed from this distance. He sat with his elbows resting on his knees, staring off into the field, smoking. I stood there, weighing my options. Wanted to leave, but letting my curiosity win yet again. I walked over, the smell of gasoline getting stronger with every step. A red jerry can sat on a hard packed dirt beside him. I stepped about or I stopped about ten feet away. He glanced over, made eye contact, nodded, and turned back to the view. Car troubles, I asked. Bike troubles. Anything I can help with? Nope. I took a drag off his big cigarillo. Vanilla flavored, judging by the smell. All my questions backed away. Sympathy replaced curiosity. Apparition or not, this man looked broken down, as though his life had nothing but letdown after letdown after letdown. He studied something out in the distant fields. I turned back to see what he was seeing. Nothing. Shimmering wind rippling through the flood grass. The last drips of daylight soaking back into the ground. He pointed. Off past the boardwalk, he said. About 200 feet. My eyes followed his direction, still nothing. Besides the water, he said. Then I saw it. Three bears, brown bears, a mother and two cubs, drinking from the water. I'd never seen a bear outside of zoos. I didn't even know they lived around here. Probably came down from Bali. Alri, he said. Clear-cut suburbs up there now. He spat dryly and pressed his heel against the spit and turned his ankle like putting out a cigarette. Just then, the mother bear looked up and glanced around as if she heard something. He held there a couple moments, then went back to drinking. So you're friends with my son, he said, watching the bears all the while. No, not really. Boyfriend? No. Nothing wrong with that. Didn't say there was. He smiled grimly, punched his eyes shut, and took a long, slow drag of the cigarillo. Acquaintances, I said. What's that? Acquaintances? Sure. People who know each other tangentially. He nodded. He moved in across the street, yeah? Yeah. Ignore the crazies. Crazies? Neighbors full of them. Neighborhoods full of them, he said. Crazies catching. Catching? He, he blinked, disappointed, surprised. Contagious. Yeah, I mean, I meant to ask about. He raised a hand. Not now, he said. You come by tomorrow. I'll answer any questions you have about any of that. Just not right now. He motioned toward the horizon as if there was only moments of peace he'd seen in years. I nodded. He smiled warmly, took one last drag, and pressed the cigarillo down against the hard-packed dirt beside him. Twisted it in between it went cold, wiping ash-stained fingers onto his brown leather jacket. He took a deep breath, exhaled, and pushed up to standing. He produced another cigarillo and offered it to me. I shook my head. I just quit. He shrugged. Lit up. I took a drag and exhaled. More vanilla-flavored smoke. You know, what you, you know what you do when you run into Baloo, he said? Baloo? Yeah, he blinked, disappointed, surprised. Grizzly, up close. I shrugged. Throw your hands up? Make a lot of noise? Yell? I said half remembering something from grade school. He scoffed. That's a good way to end up with your head viced against bear jaws, with hot breath gusting in your face, and the sound of your own screams bouncing out the back of its throat. I held back laughter at the brutal graphic description. He side-eyed me, deadly serious. He pulled another drag and exhaled the smoke out from his nostrils. You run, into the, you run into one of those up close, he continued. Just talk to her, like you're doing here. Pretend she's an old friend. Long time, been a while. Tell her about your day. Ask her how she's been. It's 
coal blue eyes filled with memories, drifting back and forth across the distant horizon as he spoke. All the while, you keep backing up, slow like. Slow as you can manage. Not slow like you're trying to leave. Slow like, uh, we both happen to be going the same direction. He looked directly at me. Know the difference? I grunted noncommittally. Nodding, he turned back. She'll follow. Curious. When you got about 15, 20 feet between you, take off your backpack or your hat, whatever. He looked at the dirt. Place it on the ground. She'll stop to see what the, what's what. Sniffing, prodding. You back up faster now, but not by much. Again, he looked directly at me. The trick is to accept the fact that you're scared shitless. Accept that your head's lying to you, begging you to run. Your head's whispering every song in the Bible, you can do this. You can fight. You can run. He waved his hand to say, so on, and looked away. You let that fear take control? He snapped his fingers with surprising loudness. That's it. He flicked his cigarello straight down, stomped it out, and spat. Instead, you tell yourself, God damn, I'm really scared right now. You take that or whatever else and set it outside. Don't push it away. Don't forget it. Just set it aside and focus on breathing instead. Focus on backing up one foot after another. No shortcuts. You trailed off into silence. Soon enough, she'll lose interest and wander off. He met my eyes again. Usually, he continued, if Baloo wants a fight, you go for the eyes, he shrugged. At least you go down fighting. A few long seconds passed until I realized he was finished. Thank you, I said, not really sure what to say. I turned back to the field. The family of bears was gone now. He chuckled softly and stepped away. Look, if you have any questions about any of this haunting bullshit, he said. You know where I live. Just come by. I nodded. Still not sure if he was a puppet, apparition, or real. I'll just tell you straight up. Don't take anything from the neighbors seriously. Especially fucking Howie. Sure, I said, turning back to my car. One more thing, he squat down. Picking up the red jerry can and shook it. Empty. The nearest gas pump was about three miles out. I brought the jerry can back full. And we drove home the same direction. Despite my reservations, I liked PT. He reminded me of my old man. Rest in peace. Still, I didn't know who to believe, and I couldn't shake away his I couldn't shake the way his eyes moved outside the diner. Maybe I was paranoid. Maybe I was seeing things, but no amount of paranoia explained the coat rack in the basement, which first thing tomorrow morning is what I meant to ask him about. I pulled into my driveway and sat there a good moment before stepping out. Orange streetlights bounced off wet asphalt. Frantic moths swarmed the unnatural glow like flies in a corpse. A small gray dot of a car or a small gray dot of a cat or raccoon shimmied down a neighbor's fence and slinked across the fresh-cut lawn. The house across the street was dark, and the driveway was empty. Maybe he took a different route back. I stepped inside and pulled the door shut behind me. When I saw the basement door, the weight of everything, everything suddenly came crashing down. The door was shut, and almost pleading to me to open it, silently begging me to check to see if the coat rack was still there, see how much further along it was. Turning away, I went for the kitchen, but I stopped in the living room and looked back over my shoulder. Fuck it. May as well get this over with. I spun around, marched over, yanked the door open, and flicked on the light. Taking a deep, slow breath, I stepped forward one step at a time, and my foot slipped. I tripped forward seven quick steps and tumbled over headfirst into the corner. Bobbing pain shot at my left leg. My shin was... My shin was snapped. Turned left at a 90 degree angle. <clears throat> the bone inside pushed up against my skin like a swollen cyst, 
and almost puked at the sight. Thankfully, I was in too much shock to fully appreciate the rising pain. Fuck! I hissed, grinning in my, te grinning in my teeth and pushing back in the corner as the long, dark hallway stretched out before me. I couldn't stand. I couldn't even reach the second light. I could barely think. I gripped my teeth and clenched my eyes shut. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. The adrenaline pushed me into a strange state of calm. I opened my eyes. Everything was slightly brighter now as my vision adjusted. Nothing but shadow. I pulled out my phone, turned up the screen to maximum brightness, and shone it down to the hallway. The coat rack was still there, but closer now. It stood in the entrance of the rec room. Now a heavy wool coat hung from its top. About five feet closer, I guessed. So much for the one step a week. I tucked my phone away and turned back towards the exit, carefully shifting my body weight to avoid more pain. A tedious process. Couldn't afford paramedics or an ambulance, so I'd have to crawl up the stairs. Force. Drip. A solitary drop of water fell somewhere in the darkness. The coat rack's dim silhouette stood motionless. I'm not sticking around for this. I thought. I was about to turn away. Something moved. Behind the coat rack, something rose to standing. I only saw the shadowed outline of a person and the faintest hint of pinkish-red skin. Like the skin of a dying pig, I froze, paralyzed. My eyes adjusted bit by bit. The wool coat shook as too gaunt, shook as too gaunt. yet unnaturally large hands emerged from the dark and wrapped around the coat rack. Gripping tight, the hands lifted the coat rack noiselessly off the ground. Silence. A quick step forward, a stuttering exhale, as though it took great effort. Then it sat back down. More silence. Then the coat rack hoisted up again, and another quick step forward. The slick sound of wet, bare feet pressed on and off concrete floor. Another strained exhale, and sat it down. There was almost a hypnotizing percussion rhythm to it all. Again, the coat rack hoisted up, and I'd see more than, it, more than enough. Twisted to my side, I clawed my hands onto the banister and hoisted myself upward, wincing in pain as my snapped leg drug useless behind me. More footsteps, more stuttering breaths. It was moving faster now, getting closer. I pulled myself forward, one tedious thrust at a time, gritting my teeth through the rising pain. Fuck. Whoever was holding the coat rack was on the stairs now. I didn't look back. Couldn't look back. I kept pulling forward, inching closer and closer to escape. All the while, a terrible image proje projecting in my head. The image of a long, ever-stretching arms with a pig-colored skin, sliding up the stairs, reaching for my shins. Inching closer and closer until I gripped the door frame with both hands and launched myself forward. Lurching into the upstairs, I spun around and kicked the door with my good leg. It slammed shut with satisfying finality. Catching my breath, I listened. Listened to the slightest movement below. Seconds went by. Minutes. Nothing. Pushing up to the standing, my racing thoughts finally steadied. Time to barricade the doors. Oh, I don't. Know, I don't know what it is about this story. It's. I don't know. It's. It's. It's really interesting. I wonder if, since he smashed up the coat rack, if all the rules that were laid out ahead of time are pretty much out the damn window. It doesn't seem like it's falling at all, but it also could have been coming for him because he was hurt and he was in a weakened state and the entity thought he was worth kind of like going after. But I'm not quite sure. I'm hoping maybe in part five they can shed a little more light on how that all works. But 
I don't know. It doesn't seem like any of the rules are real. And I mean, what's up with the dad? Ugh, it's it's so strange. Why is the dad acting totally normal? Is his son just bogus? Like, are they just? <laughs> There's a lot of unanswered questions. I'm hoping in the next couple episodes we can wrap it all up and it'll all make sense. But until then, if you guys have some stories you'd like to share, you can send them to podcastfear at gmail.com. That's podcastfear at gmail.com. And I'll showcase those stories in the future. And uh, then we can all enjoy it. It'll be great. You'll feel good because your story got talked about. And I'll feel good because I'll have a story to read. It'll be good for everybody. Also, it would mean the world to me if you could share this with somebody. I don't care. You could even share it with your grandma. I'm sure she'd love it. Maybe not. Who knows? But remember, guys, until next time, always face your fears.